Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. Thanks for the service tonight. It's great to be with you. And uh, it's a pretty bleak world we've been hearing about and a needy world. And we've prayed for the world, for nations, in the name of Jesus. And uh, tonight, uh, the service, uh, the passage that we're looking at is hope-filled and refreshing. And I hope that's uh, what we're going to get out of it. But it's not idealistic or naive. The world of the first century to whom Acts was written was also a bleak world where tyranny and violence and injustice and poverty and disease were rife. So we've got good news uh, from the world of the first century for the world of the 21st century. Uh, So we approach Acts 3 tonight with realism and hope. So let's pray and then we'll open up the passage. Lord, speak to us through your Holy Spirit tonight. Thank you for the beautiful words of Scripture. Uh, Impress them on our hearts and give us hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after the ascension of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, a social revolution commenced. And it was carried, the locus of the social revolution were small communities of Christians, less in number at the beginning, in Jerusalem and throughout uh, Judea and Samaria and then other nations, less in number than Alive at Five. And the social revolution occurred amongst the familiar violence and chaos and dismay of Roman occupation and military might. And the characteristics of the social revolution at the end of Acts 2 were these. People became devoted to hearing God's word taught and to praying and to breaking bread together and to having meals in each other's homes. People lived in awe of God's power and signs and wonders. People started sharing their possessions and supporting the poor and selling property and distributing wealth. People met every day in the temple courts and in their homes and had meals together. And the communities of these first Christians were characterised by joy, gladness, sincerity, integrity and trustworthiness. All of this amounted to a social revolution. And what we've got in Acts 3 is one instance of how that unfolded, the healing of a man born lame. Acts 3 contests of the event that occurred and then the proclamation about that event. So in verses 1 to 10, we have the healing sign. And in 3.11 to 26, we have Peter's preaching about what it means. And it's worth making an important point because this is a pattern in Scripture that signs need to be accompanied by words. Events need to be accompanied by interpretation. All throughout scripture, when things happen, 
it's not the event only that is in focus. It's what God says about it that matters. Our lives as disciples of Christ are shaped not merely by what happens in life, but by God's word about what happens in life. God's word gives meaning to life's events. We're not swept up in the events of life alone. We make sense of events in the light of God's word. Sign and word, deed and proclamation. We are those who understand that it's what God says that matters in a world which is often confusing, sometimes chaotic, tragically mysterious and hard to interpret. It's what God says that matters. Throughout the time of Scripture, signs and wonders occur in three particular eras in biblical texts. First is the time of Moses and the exodus from Egypt. God rises up in power against an horrific oppressor, the Egyptians, and give signs and wonders to Moses and Aaron and then Joshua at that time. That's the first era. The second era is the time when Israel is horrendously disobedient with a cruel and wicked king, and God gives signs and wonders to Elijah and Elisha, and they preach about what that means. And the third time is the time of Jesus and the apostles under Roman oppression. Three great eras in biblical history, the Exodus, the time of Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles, and subsequently in history, God has brought signs and wonders into being again and again to demonstrate both his power over the oppressor and the character of his kingdom. Well, what happens in Acts 3, 1 to 10? Uh, some time has passed since Pentecost. We remember Jesus taught the apostles for 40 days after his resurrection and then for 10 more days after the ascension, they waited. And then the church has started to grow and possibly it's now a couple of months that have passed. Peter and John, two of Jesus' inner circle, are walking to the temple courts to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There is a man who is more than 40 years old who has never walked, born lame. His friends carry him everywhere. This is where he begs at a gate called Beautiful on the eastern side of the temple courts. It's a brilliant place, we're told. The gate was some 23 metres in height, 18 metres in width, and it shone in the sun with brilliant glow. Many people walked to the temple this way. Peter and John passed by this unnamed man. Give me some money, he calls out. Look at us, Peter says, and they stop walking. They're not hurrying on, scurrying by. The man lifts up his head and engages the eyes of Peter and John. They stare at him 
and a moment passes. Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. Initial disappointment. A moment passes. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Surprise, disbelief, hesitancy, incredulity. Peter reaches down and takes the man by the hand and with his strong fisherman's arm, he lifts him up. And Luke writes, instantly, the man's feet and ankles are strong. People point out to that medical detail, Luke writes, feet and ankles this has never been the case. This is completely new. He jumps to his feet. He walks to the temple courts. He's walking. He's jumping. He's praising God. Isaiah prophesied that when the Lord saves his people, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. New things, new life. The people in the temple courts that day are filled with awe. Some time passes, presumably as the man prays and praises the Lord in the temple courts with Peter and John, and now we're at Solomon's porch and a crowd is gathering and Peter preaches and tells us what this means. There are times in Scripture when God refuses to give signs, when Jesus rejects the demand for signs, and we need to affirm again signs in and of themselves are inadequate. They may be unhelpful, they may be misleading, they may be deceitful. Signs always point beyond themselves. They need words to interpret them. And Peter is now going to interpret what happens. Peter starts with these great words. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And for Jews in Jerusalem at that time, he says, using the name Israel gave to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the burning bush, the God of Moses and the Exodus, this God, he says, has glorified Jesus. You disowned him. You handed him over to be killed. You demanded the release of the murderer, Barabbas. But Jesus is God's servant and God has raised him from the dead and glorified him. This Jesus is God's servant. He's holy, he's righteous, and get this, he's the author of life. You killed him, but death can't hold him down. He's the author of life. He's alive. The sign glorifies Jesus. Peter makes the point so strongly, Jesus is risen. The sign glorifies Jesus. And then secondly, Peter makes the point that the sign has occurred because of faith in Jesus' name. 
Jesus reigns, the kingdom of God is established. So trust in Jesus as we do, Peter says. Come into the kingdom of God. This is what your prophets predicted. And now it's happening. After his suffering, he rules. Faith in Jesus' name will bring new life. And then thirdly, so turn back to God and repent. Peter preaches, God will wipe away your sins. Enter into the times of refreshing. Become part of God's restoration. This is what Moses said would happen, and a far greater prophet than Moses is among us in the person of Jesus. You are seeing what Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, the prophets, the psalmists, preach about, sing about, write about, it's now fulfilled. God's blessing is poured out on Israel and the nations of the world. This is a big sign. What we have in the book of Acts and what this sign represents is something stunning. It is the presence of the future. It's the breaking into a bleak world of a new age sometimes called in scripture the age of the spirit, sometimes called the last days, sometimes called the age to come. But what has happened is that a future of hope, a future of love and grace and forgiveness has broken into the present of tyranny and violence and evil. The age to come has broken into the now age. The future is revealed in the now, and the sign points not only to the resurrection of Jesus, but to the hope of the world, which is life, forgiveness, reconciliation, love. And those who trust in Christ are now finding themselves in this strange experience mixed up of a now world that is bleak and miserable and at times corrupt and in tolerable and unjust and impoverished as we've been hearing and yet it's beautiful and grace-filled and generous and kind and powerful and forgiving and loving and that's all swirling around in our experience at the same time because we're in the now world that is being redeemed and we're in the future world that is under the governance of the holy spirit of the kingdom of god and the rule of jesus the future has broken into the present and that age continues until Christ returns. That's why I've called this sermon Living into the Age to Come in this age. This is the fuel for perseverance. This is the fuel for prayer. This is the fuel for hope in the face of struggle. Living into the age to come in this age. We're not idealistic. We're not naive but we are hope-filled in the midst of a world governed by cruel powers into which Jesus' power has now broken through. In our days in Springwood, 2021, 22, 23, for the rest of our lives until Christ returns, in our world, are there still signs and wonders? Are there miracles? The biblical answer is clearly yes. 
King Jesus is a gift giver. And everyone in the meeting tonight has received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's personal and powerful presence in and among us if we've come to Christ. And the spirit who is gifted gifts more gifts. Paul says when he writes to Corinth that among those gifts are gifts of healing, multiple gifts, literally gifts of healings, 1 Corinthians 12, 9. And another of those gifts, Paul writes, the working of miracles, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. And among those gifts, the gifts of tongues and prophecy and wisdom and faith and service and leadership. Do miracles and healings and signs and wonders still attend to this age in which Christ rules and in the church? Absolutely, yes. Will we see such signs in Springwood in 2021, 2022? I trust so. I believe we ought to be praying so, and if and as we do, it will be because we pray in the name of Jesus, according to the will of Jesus, as we walk with Jesus and trust him. It will not be because we demand it or manipulate it. It will be because, humbly, it's a received gift. We ought to pray boldly for signs and wonders and healings and miracles and then wait gratefully to see what Jesus will do. He is the powerful gift giver and our hopes are in the Jesus who makes old things new and dead things alive. Peter preaches some wonderful words in his sermon in 3.19 to 21 and 22 when he tells his listeners what their current experience will be if they come to Jesus. He says in 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, blotted out, expunged, cleaned away, and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is the only time the word is used in the New Testament, the word for refreshing. Indeed, it's times of refreshing. It's that word kairos, seasons, opportune times of refreshing. Peter is first of all preaching that when you come out from under the tyranny of sin, from the guilt of sin, when God blots away your sin and cleans away your guilt, you will be refreshed. Um, the word literally means coolness. Think of a sweaty, hot summer's day. We had some of them a couple of summers ago, and it's so hot in the daytime that you can't do much work, and it's so hot in the nighttime that you can't sleep. And then comes the cool change, and it's refreshing. Peter says that's what happens when you meet Jesus because you are no longer under the tyranny of a slave master or your guilt. Many of us have struggled throughout life with 
abject failure, with betrayals, with addictions. Peter says, come to Jesus and you are not under their domination any longer. That power has been conquered by the love, life-giving Messiah, Jesus. Be refreshed. Come out from under your guilt. That's our now experience of Jesus. And I pray that we will be refreshed in these days as we breathe and say, thank you, God, I am not guilty in your sight. You know, in Acts 3, there would have been some people in the crowd that day who looked on that man born lame and said to themselves, well, he's getting what he deserved. He must be a sinful person or his family was sinful, his parents were sinful. He's paying for the sin. Leave him alone. He deserves it. Don't interfere. Leave him alone. Let him suffer. I've seen that attitude around the world in other religions as well. But in the name of Jesus, that is not how Christians behave. When we see something wrong or somebody burdened, what is our responsibility in the name of Jesus? It's to relieve the burden. It's to bring refreshment. It's to proclaim salvation. It's to say to a person, your sins can be blotted away. Let me pray for you and ask God to help you. I don't know what he will do, but I know he loves you and cares. Let's pray. I've mentioned it before, but Bonhoeffer's famous illustration, when you see a madman driving a car, it's not a Christian responsibility to wait until people are maimed and killed and then call the ambulance. It's a Christian responsibility to wrestle the steering wheel away from the madman. Step in, do something, be active. We're not passive observers. We believe things can change. In the name of Jesus, there can be refreshment. All of us who know Christ have been refreshed. Can you remember what it was like before you knew Jesus? When you were guilty and separated and now in Christ, refreshed. That's our now experience, Peter says, of coming to Jesus. What's the future experience of coming to Jesus? In 3.20 and 21, Peter says he will send the Messiah appointed for you, even Jesus, who heaven has received until the time comes for God to restore everything. The future is complete refreshment, utter refreshment, restoration. We are part of, if we know Christ, God's restoration project. And in the future, all things will be restored, including our bodies and the entire creation and truth and goodness and beauty will bubble over and bless us. No more curse or moaning or sickness or death. A future of complete restoration. Now, we know that the struggles still continue. The world is still messed up. And our own lives are challenged and tested daily. But refreshment is real 
and restoration is coming. So what sort of people are we in the world today? Hope, filled, active, change agents, getting into the mess and offering people renewal, restoration and refreshment. Peter and John could have looked the other way and walked on. But in the name of Jesus, they stopped and prayed and they saw refreshment. At the beginning of the year when we are preaching in Genesis, I think I said that churches are communities of delight because we know how diverse and beautiful God's creation is, though now distorted. Well, if we're communities of delight tonight, we also want to say that churches are communities of refreshment. Being refreshed with one another, having meals together, receiving gifts, offering prayer and walking and being accountable and receiving wisdom, that's refreshment. We are communities of refreshment as we wait for complete and utter restoration. The future is not grim. It's glorious. So let's get about it in the name of Jesus. Remember what? characterized the social revolution in Acts 2 and 3, devotion to God's word being taught, to fellowship, to breaking bread, to prayer, awe, signs, wonders, sharing meals, selling possessions, giving wealth away, supporting the poor, meeting every day, gladness, sincerity, trustworthiness, and love. That's what a refreshing community looks like. That's what a life at five can look like and does look like to me. And may it continue until Christ returns. Well, let me pray for us and then we're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper. And so if you've got some elements with you or need to get them now, uh, please do so. Let's just pray. Lord, thank you that you blot away, you blot out, you swipe away, you clean away. You wipe off all our sin and guilt in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you call us your children, your friends, your brother, your sister, your saint. That we call you Abba, Father, Comforter, Saviour. So refresh us again tonight, we pray, and may we have a complete and utter hopefulness in the restoration that's commenced and will continue in the name of Jesus. We look forward to meeting the man unnamed in Acts 3 and hearing his story face to face. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and pray that we will see you do powerful things in these days, in our lives, in this time, right now, around the world, in Springwood and the mountains and throughout Australia, in the name of Jesus. Amen.